Please open your Bibles this morning with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, titled today's message, Good Judgment About Judgment. Good Judgment About Judgment. We're continuing working our way through this passage of Scripture, which is, of course, classically known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus ministering about the life of the kingdom to those that are in the kingdom. It is a message to disciples, to believers, to followers on what to look for and what to exhibit in your lifestyle as a Christian, as a believer. And of course, he's ministering beyond just the letter of the law. He really wants to address issues of the heart. And we continue working our way through, and today we'll be looking at some verses where Jesus speaks about judging one another. I found this article in Time Magazine, I, Time Magazine, just a quick quote from uh, Richard Dawkins, who is a fairly well-known atheist, and uh, here's his take on Christian conservatives. He says, Christian conservatives, right-wing, Jesus-loves-us debauch of homophobia, intolerance, and militarism, a trifecta easily remembered by the acronym HIM. So this is uh, one view. <laughs> of Christian conservatives, this idea that somehow the Christian worldview is intolerant and afraid of all other views. It's interesting how uh, the atheist worldview, and really, quite honestly, much of the secular worldview, um, they, they really are open to all views except any view that would disagree with their view. They call that intolerance, and they are very intolerant of that view. And there is something of a, of a hypocrisy. And, you know, I like what I found here from the Answers in Genesis founder, Ken Hom. He says this, We live in a world that increasingly strives to supposedly promote the idea of tolerance but actually becomes intolerant of Christian absolutes as it does so. Whether it involves religion, behavior, or human sexuality, there is a growing anti-Christian sentiment in America and other Western nations. Ultimately built into this tolerance is the concept that truth is determined by each individual, not by God. This has led many people to conclude that making judgments on anyone, especially coming from Christians, is wrong because the Bible says, judge not, in Matthew 7, verse 1. Interestingly enough, those who reject the notion of God or the credibility of the Bible often attempt to use God's Word, for example, by quoting verses out of context, to excuse their actions and then they, when they are presented with the gospel and the plight of sinners for rejecting it. They reject the truth of the Bible, but then they quote the Bible to tell Christians to not judge them. Because after all, Jesus said, judge not. So you see something of the double standard and the hypocrisy. Let's take a look at this text that sometimes is often the, the world's favorite text to quote back at Christians. And let's take a little bit of a deeper look and see what Jesus is really ministering. Follow with me in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with that judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 
And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Jesus, again, in our context, Jesus is trying to speak to his his devoted followers in a climate of spiritual hypocrisy. The Pharisees, the so-called religious leaders of the day, had taken God's word and twisted it into and interpreted into kind of their own self-righteous standard. And Jesus is now ministering beneath just the letter and into the heart of what God's word always intended to mean. He says, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. As I mentioned, the world often takes that first verse out of context and quotes it back to Christians or those that have a biblical worldview. If you say anything about my lifestyle, my conduct, if you have any opinion about whether what I'm doing is right or wrong, I simply quote the Bible to you and say, hey, don't judge, lest you be judged. And it's kind of, again, taken out of context. It's, it's become something of the world's favorite verse to quote, but it's not really what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying... You know, there is no place for any judgment. There's no place for discernment. There is no such thing as moral absolute or right and wrong. Judge nothing, lest you be judged. Any kind of judgment is somehow wrong, whether it be on sexuality, whether it be on moral standard, anything that, that uh, you think uh, I have a different perspective on you, that's judgment. And it's this call for tolerance but it is very intolerant to the Christian view of the Bible as the source of God's truth and moral absolute. Don't judge me. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? Anybody heard that? Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. It may be wrong for you, but not for me. You're wrong to judge me. But the Bible says this in Romans chapter 1, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Listen, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. This scripture indicates to us that God has put some compass, in some moral bearing, in the heart of every man. There is something that is known in them instinctively about right and wrong. Now, that may be in degrees in some, but at some place there is this sense of uh, a moral right and wrong. And if, if it's not what I want to do, then I suppress that, the Bible says. If I want to do something that my conscience is troubled over, I just suppress 
my conscience. I justify what I want to do. I rationalize it, and I call it okay. I call it good. And if you do that over time, and you do that often, pretty soon that conscience dies down and becomes silent, and you're able to do what you want without any sense of guilt or any conviction of conscience. But the Scripture says, and he goes on, we won't look at that passage any further, but Paul would go on to say, listen, you're not, that's not going to excuse you. You're going to be without excuse. Because God has put it in each and every one of us, that instinctive knowing of right and wrong. Now, that's just a general understanding of morality. But of course, God's Word reveals much deeper the truths of right and wrong. And to the heart that gives place to what is known, God reveals even more. But to those that suppress it, they become hardened and they become numb to the truth. Peter would refer to it as they willingly forget. They purposefully ignore and push away that which can be known as truth. Now, Jesus would say this in John 12, and I'll have these for you on the overhead. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Jesus even in his ministry, said, look, the words that I'm speaking to you are those that have been given to me by God the Father. And if you reject these words, that word will stand in judgment against you because that word comes with the authority of the Creator. And you cannot reject God's authority over His creation Call what you want to do right and good and imagine that there is no accountability with the one who has made you. The one who has absolutely established good and right. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to save you. But if you reject the truth, if you, if you harden, if you suppress, if you willingly forget, and just because you start calling what you want to do right and good and make kind of a, kind of a relative morality based on your own desire or your society, your culture. And you can see that even in our own time. There is this moving standard. And there is no anchor. There's no point of reference because the truth is perceived to be within each man. We will determine what is right, what is good. And if you say anything other than that, you're judging me. And Jesus said, no. The truth will judge you. The truth of God's word, the truth of what is really right and wrong will ultimately hold each one of us accountable. Jesus, let's talk about what Jesus is not saying in this passage. He is not saying, use no judgment. Don't judge ever about anything on on any subject. That can't be right. Because in fact, in this very sermon, Jesus calls us to use judgment, to use discernment. We'll see here in just a few verses that he's going to tell us to use judgment on on what we present before others. Don't cast your pearls before swine. That takes judgment, discernment. 
We're going to see in chapter uh, verse 15, he's going to talk to us about beware of false prophets. How can I do that if, I, if I'm not allowed to judge and to discern? Clearly, he's not saying use no judgment. And he's not saying that there is no such thing as right and wrong. You don't need to judge anything because anything goes. That goes completely against all that Jesus stood for, preached, and all that the Scripture gives to us, clear, absolutes, for truth. Nor is Jesus saying that somehow his followers are to accept and approve of all conduct that others want to justify. Now, it is possible to accept someone, to care for them, but not approve of their morality, their opinion about right and wrong. And in fact, I think that's really what we are called to do. We are called to love the sinner, but not justify necessarily or approve or condone the sin. We're not called to persecute or attack. We're called to speak the truth in love. And, you know, the truth is we're all sinners. So if one, someone were to say, well, you know, how can you judge me? You're not perfect either. I would, I would say, you're right. Absolutely. But when I sin, I confess my sin. And I ask the Lord to forgive me and to cleanse me of my sin. And because of what He's done for me at the cross, His provision for sin through Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection, he is, able, he is faithful and just to forgive me of that sin. What I don't do is say, it's not sin. It's okay. It's good. Accept me in what I want to do. I'm calling it right. You need to call it right. John said in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and we lie against the truth. So the issue here is not to somehow judge one another as you know, not as good as me. I'm better than you. That's the, that's the judgment I think Jesus is getting at and, and, and saying that's not appropriate. We are all sinners. But when we judge, we judge according to God's standard, according to God's word. And we don't do it in a hypocritical way. We don't do it in a condemning way or a self-righteous way. That is the spirit I believe Jesus is trying to correct. That condemning judgment, that hypocritical judgment, looking to find fault and view others with a condemning spirit, attitudes that tear down in order to build oneself up, right? That seems to be something that kind of is instinctive in our human nature. If I can tear you down, it makes me look better, makes me feel better about myself. And so that insecurity within me looks to criticize you. And I think this is part of what Jesus is trying to address, a judgmental and critical spirit. And some have that even, unfortunately, in the body of Christ. Even Christians can be very critical, very judgmental in a hypocritical way, in a condemning sort of way. And even that, they justify. Well, God's given me the gift of discernment. Really. You need a gift to find fault in other people. You don't need any gift for that. Just look around. Everybody's got issues. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got shortcomings. I don't need to be gifted supernaturally to identify those things, nor do you to identify them in me. No, that's not necessarily the gift of discernment. It may be 
that you're just justifying a critical and judgmental spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14 says this, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Paul, writing to the Galatians, he said, listen, this is the the heart of all the law. Jesus is going to say this in his sermon as we move on uh, in, in the future weeks here as well. But I like what he says in verse 15. This has always kind of stuck with me out of Galatians, that you know, this is kind of the warning. If you, div- if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Once you start down that kind of criticizing and nitpicking on one another, be careful, lest you devour one another. Because you can always find something wrong with one another. We're, we're, we're target-rich environments, as they say. There's plenty that God is still having to work on in our character and in our conduct. And so to discover that and to then call it out and then kind of bite on one another, be careful, Paul says, because once you start that, and you know, if I criticize you, well, then you criticize me. Well, yeah, but what about you? Well, oh yeah, well, what about you? And pretty soon, you know, you got a dogfight going on and you're both wounded and you devour one another. Be careful. Treat one another, love your neighbor as yourself. Be gracious with others because you know that you need them to be gracious with you, just as the Lord has been gracious with you. Easy to get started in that critical spirit, and it's very hard to stop it once it gets going. That's why Paul says, beware. Jesus went on to say, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Jesus getting a little bit, uh, I don't know, sarcastic here, a little bit, little, little Jesus humor, right? You know, you're really wanting to get that speck out of your brother's eye, and you got this giant log sticking out of yours, right? You know, he's giving you this visual understanding. How silly is that? that you would be so nitpicky to try and get the little speck. Oh, but I'm just helping him. I'm just helping him. Meanwhile, you got this beam in your own eye. So Jesus is pointing out there's a hypocrisy here. And it isn't, isn't it easier to see the sin in others than it is ourselves? I don't know why. It always looks worse on you than it does me, right? Much more critical of others and much more gracious and patient with ourselves. It goes something like this. Well, you this and you that and you this and you that. Well, what about you? Well, I'm not perfect, right? Excuse me, I'm not perfect, but you, you need to be perfect because I, you know, and so this, it's kind of a one-way street. And Jesus is calling that out, saying, look, that kind of, that kind of judgment is, is, is sinful. It's hypocritical. You may remember King David, who fell into sin when he lusted after and took Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and had relations with her, committed adultery with her while Uriah was out on the battlefield fighting for King David. David should have been out leading his men. Instead, he was home taking it easy in the palace, committing adultery with one of his men's wives. 
wife. And then she became pregnant, and now he had to cover it up. He's the spiritual leader. He's King David. He's the psalmist. He's the, the one after God's own heart. And you were, If you know the story, he brought Uriah in from the battlefield, got him drunk in the palace, and sent him home, hoping that he would sleep with Bathsheba, and then there'd be no, no wonder when she became pregnant. But he was too honorable for that. He slept on the porch. He thought, how can I go in to my wife when my men are out in the field? So he didn't sleep with her, and he went back to battle. Well, David called out to his general, sent message to his general, and said, listen, uh, nobody, Uriah went home. He didn't sleep with his wife, but nobody knows that but him and his wife. Make sure that when he's out on the front lines, pull back and let the enemy kill him. So he conspired to have Uriah murdered on the battlefield. Uriah died. He then took Bathsheba as his wife, and they had uh, a child. And David thought he'd covered it up. David pretty well had it, had it handled. But a prophet came to town, a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan said, uh, David, I have, I have a story to tell you. There was a very rich man who had many, many sheep and, and, and flock. And then there was just a poor man who had only one lamb. But that lamb was almost like a part of his family. He would take the lamb into the home and became something of a household pet for him. He loved the lamb. And then when visitors came to dine, the rich man, to entertain and feed his guests, he went and took the poor man's one... He didn't take from his own flock. Rather, he took the one poor man... Poor man's lamb slaughtered it and fed that to his guests. And David, when he heard this story, he said, that, who, that, The man who has done this shall surely die. The injustice of it, the rage that raised up. The man who has done this surely shall die. And Nathan said, David, you are the man. And then the Holy Spirit broke through David's hardness of heart, and he realized what had happened. He could see so clearly the injustice of a man taking someone else's lamb, but he, he failed to see what he was covering up in the taking of another man's wife and then murdering that man. How, how easy it is for us to justify, rationalize, and cover our own guilt, and then see in so vividly how it looks and exists on others. Jesus is calling that out. And he's saying, listen, don't pick the speck out of your brother's eye until you've dealt with the beam that is in your own. It is something of human nature. It happens in relationships all the time. We often are selfish. We see everything through the lens of self. We are hypersensitive to how others treat us, and yet we seem to be completely oblivious to how we're treating others. And Jesus, again, is speaking to that. Often it happens even in marriage. It's um, amazing as we meet from time to time with married couples and talk about some of the struggles that they're going and try to help them through. It's amazing to me how well the husbands know the verses that talk about how the wife is to conduct herself. He's got those verses memorized. 
she's not this, you're supposed to this, the Word says you're supposed to do that, and, and vice versa. The wife knows all the verses that the husband is supposed to be following. You know, you, you never get into a, a counseling situation. You know, first thing you try to discover, okay, what's going on? Who wants to go first, you know? And uh, you never get the husband, well, I'll go first. Pastor, I'm just not loving my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm just not really surrendering my heart to the Lord and walking in complete obedience to the Word. And, you know, I'm just, you know, my, and it's causing trouble in our marriage. That's not usually the way it goes down. Who wants to go first? She this and she that and she this. Okay, your turn. Oh, he this and he that. Uh, there was a couple, this was years ago. They don't go to our church, uh, so don't, don't try to imagine who this might be. But it was almost funny. Um, the woman wanted to go first. And we listened, and the husband sat quietly. And the two of us listened to about a 20-minute you know, lecture on all this husband's shortcomings. I said, okay, well, now husband, you know, what do you have to say? And he just, you know, just got started. Well, one thing that, that frustrates me is that my wife does this. And, and that's all he said. We're not here to talk about that. You know, she just, I mean, both of us, just, she just like a wild cat, you know. We're not, well, wait a minute. What are we here to talk about? <laughs> you know, we're not here to talk about that. I don't want to hear anything that you want to say. We're only here to talk about what's bothering me about you. Fix my spouse, Lord, pastor, counselor. That will solve everything. And of course, it, it manifests in friendships and relationships in the church. And Jesus, I think, is speaking very, very clearly here. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You have to allow the Lord to deal with you. You have to invite the Holy Spirit's work in your own heart. Like the psalmist said, Lord, search me and see if there's any hurtful way where in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. Truthfully, Christian, uh, the, the greatest responsibility that you have is your own heart. That's not to say you have no responsibility for one another. That's not to say that there's never a place for correction and help and, and counsel. But your first responsibility is your own heart. And Jesus is saying, look, deal with that first. And then, then you can help your brother. He's not saying never help your brother, your sister, never confront, never talk. He's saying, make sure your own heart is right so that you can go with the right attitude in ministering to others. James 5 and verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So we are to help our brethren that wander from the truth. We are to reach out and at times even confront and call to accountability a life that is living wayward of the Word and away from God and Christ. But you notice, in order to 
turn a sinner from the error of his ways to save a soul from death. That's the motive. The motive is to save. The motive is to rescue. The motive is to help. Not to be critical, not to feel better, not to judge, not to condemn, but to help and to save. We should not confront to criticize or condemn, but rather to help and rescue. Galatians 6.1 tells us the spirit in which we should go to one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying, doesn't it? Remove the beam from your own eye so that you can now help your brother remove the speck from his eye. Paul said to the Galatians, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. Make sure that you're not caught up and entangled so that you're able to help this brother and it needs to be done in a spirit of gentleness, love. Now Jesus finishes up this particular section and and, uh, we'll finish up here today as well in verse 6. And he says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. Kind of wondering how that fits with this whole uh, talk about judging and uh, being, you know, not hypocritical. But there's a number of thoughts. I'll give you what some of those are. But first, let's identify who are the dogs and pigs. Now, in Jesus's culture, these were not household pets. Today, there are some people have dogs and pigs as pets. But in Jesus' day, uh, these were dogs were these kind of scavenger dogs. And the pigs, of course, were the unclean animals of, of the Jewish culture. So I believe that Jesus is simply saying, listen, not everyone is willing to graciously receive the spiritual truth and grace that you're wanting to impart, the pearls, the spiritual things. And so you have to use some discernment and judgment. Now, certainly that would probably be uh, useful uh, in just the way we reach out even to the unbelieving world. We are called to share the gospel, to declare the love of Christ. But I think there has to be some discernment there. Some are so violently, hatefully, spitefully opposed to the gospel that to, to try and debate with them to try and argue them into the kingdom is really kind of a waste of time and it only infuriates them towards you. And that happens sometimes, I think, even in our, our Christian culture. We're, we're trying to defend the faith and so we attack the attackers. And I don't think that that's necessarily wise. I think we have to love. I think we have to speak the truth in love. And I think we have to articulate and give reason for the things that we believe But ultimately, we have to minister in love. And Jesus is saying, listen, don't take, not not everyone is going to be ready for you to really share the deep things of the kingdom. They're just not open to it. In fact, they'll turn on you and they'll tear you apart. Jesus would tell his disciples to go and to preach. And if they receive the word, continue to minister. If they reject the word, move on. Shake the dust off your feet as a symbol saying, listen, I wanted to bring the truth. I wanted to bring Christ to you, but you've rejected him. And so now as a testimony, 
I'm moving on. Paul, when he went into a city evangelizing a new, a new city, he would always start often in the synagogue if there was one, and he would begin to share the gospel to the Jewish community in that city. And often they would reject him and, de and debate him, and some even persecuted him, beat on him, put him in jail. And after he was rejected in the synagogue, he would then go and minister to the Gentiles. In some cases, he would end up in a home. In the Ephesians, in Ephesus, he ended up in a school. He looked to share the gospel where it would be received. He didn't keep trying to beat down the, the barriers of those who were clearly hostile and rejecting the truth. And so I think there's some of that clearly in, in this idea that Jesus is communicating, not casting your pearls before dog and swine, but I think also in the context here uh, that, you know, this, this person that is a critical hypocrite, you know, uh, that may not be the person that's going to receive any correction. And you may want to correct them. You may want to point out the error of their ways, but all you're going to do is inflame and infuriate them. And I think that that's something that we have to use wisdom, even within the body of Christ. Do you know that there are some Christian circles that all they do is debate non-essential doctrine? Things that are not even that important to our ultimate foundation of salvation. Some, you know, uh, insignificant doctrine and people will come to just, you know, real uh, almost blows, just real strong disagreement, debate and argument and, you know, bitterness toward one another. And I would say, you know what? Don't cast pearls before someone like that. Don't, don't take these important truths of the kingdom and just, you know, use them to create this kind of animosity and hostility. Now, balance that with go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay? Don't let that, don't, don't let that become an excuse. Well, he doesn't want to hear it, I don't need to tell him. No, everyone has, should have opportunity to hear the gospel. But there are those that will receive it and those who clearly will reject it. And you have to use discernment. I think timing is important. I think, you know, the setting is important. I think that God will open doors for you. You don't have to be obnoxious. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be, you know, just forcing your way in. I think that there's a sense of wisdom and judgment that can be used. And I think even in sharing and correcting one another, sometimes timing, sometimes the way we speak to one another, all of that uh, is helpful. We are to judge, but we are to do it with humility, we are to do it with love, and we are to do it with wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this practical sermon of Christ ministering to us on the, the subject of judging. And Lord, clearly you have called us to be discerning and to help one another in the faith, to stir one another up to good works, to correct one another, Lord, when needful, when helpful. But Lord, we're to do it with humility, recognizing and, and Lord, realizing that our own hearts need to be right with you, that our own lives need to be surrendered to you, that we have not yet arrived. And then, Lord, we also... Lord, we need to do it in love, not in some critical, I'm going to put you in your place, you're going to get a piece of my mind. Lord, all the things that sometimes we feel justified to say because somehow we believe that we're right and the other person is wrong.
but it's not ministered in love. And then, Lord, sometimes I think we just need wisdom. We need to know when to, to keep silent and we, we, we need to know when to speak. And I pray, God, that you would give us uh, good judgment about judging. And as our heads are bowed here today and we're just closing in prayer, I, I do want to give an opportunity if you're here this morning and you, you need to receive the Lord. And what I mean by that is you're here today and you've never come to that place of forgiveness. You've never received Jesus Christ, what He has done for you at the cross and His resurrection. God's provision for your sin. You may be here as someone that is justifying your sin, trying to, trying to suppress your own conscience, trying to, trying to make what you want to do seem okay. But you know in your heart that that's not what God has for you, that, that it's sin, that it's wrong. And that's not, you don't need to be justified, rationalized. You need to be forgiven. And I, I would want to pray for you if you've never received that forgiveness and the Lord is speaking to your heart and you know, I need to just, I need to quit making excuse. I need to quit trying to pretend that this is the way I'm supposed to live and should live and everybody ought to let me live this way. I just need to come back to the Lord and ask Him to forgive me and allow Him to begin to change me. I want to live according to His Word, His kingdom. I'd love to pray for you if that's your heart here today. Maybe some of you need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you are a Christian, but you're somehow trying to live on the margin. You're trying to live and, and, and justify some conduct that you know the Lord is saying, no, son, daughter, that's not what I have for you. You're sinning against me. You're sinning against yourself. You need to repent and you need to receive my forgiveness. Come back to the place of grace that I have for you. I'd love to pray for you too. If you're here today, you want to receive Jesus for the very first time or you want to re rededicate, recommit your life to him, I would ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated and I'm going to pray. Anybody here today? Lord, speaking to you. Here on my left, God bless you. Any others? right, okay. God bless you. Anyone else? I pray for these that have responded. Amen. Amen. Just before I pray, anyone else? So Lord, these hearts that have responded to your word today, I I pray that you would meet them with your love and with your grace. Lord, you love us. You sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, raised him from the dead, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's your promise. Jesus, you didn't come to judge or to condemn. You came to save. And so, Lord, these that have responded, we put our heart and trust in you today. And instead of trying to rationalize and justify and excuse, we simply come and we say, God, please forgive me. I am a sinner. I've fallen short. I've missed the mark. I'm asking you to cleanse me now. Not because I deserve it, not because I can earn it, but because you love me and sent your son for me. I receive that today by faith. 
And then now help me, God. Help me to live for you with all my heart, all my strength, my soul. In Jesus' name, amen.